0: Good morning. Good morning. Oh, that was nice. <laughs> energy behind it. Um, I'm very happy and honestly relieved to be in this community today. Um, it's been a week, has it not? And many of us come here with heavy hearts. And I feel that some of you, like me, haven't had adequate space or time to process all that's happening in our country. So before I start the rest of my talk today, I'd actually like to ask for strength and help for all of us by sharing a prayer that was offered this week by Lama Rod Owens. Lama Rod Owens is a black queer Buddhist minister and author. And he shared this prayer this week via his social media. Um, It's a prayer for strength, for refuge, and to help us be reminded that even in pain, we are held. I'll note that Lama Rod is a Tibetan Buddhist. So in his prayer, he does make reference to um, continuing lives. So as our skills as Unitarian Universalists, I know we can take that and interpret it in our own, but wanted to make that reference before we enter into this time of prayer. I evoke all those beings and sources of refuge who have ever loved me to come sit with me because it is now that I feel most alone. I evoke the blessed mother, the sacred father, spirits of life, the essence of wisdom, my teachers and elders, the communities who have always caught me when I have fallen, the ancestors who have never stopped holding me, All the elements including the sacred earth who helps me to stand silence which wraps me in the space to be with my heart and I call upon my own innate compassion to all those I have evoked I offer my grief and what seems like my perpetual mourning in this body I offer my fear my numbness and I offer my inability to dream beyond my shutting down. Most of all, I offer my fatigue. I am tired. Today, precious earth, let me lie upon you and remind me of my body and my heart. I want many things but need only one thing now, to give up what I cannot hold to you. I pray that I evolve past my belief that my pain is mine alone to carry. To my sources of refuge whom have been evoked, you have taught me over and over again that this is not the truth. You have taught me over and over again that it is not my pain but our pain. You remind me that my worship of isolation is not conducive to my liberation. I want to be free and so I offer what I struggle to hold to you knowing that you are only here to share this heaviness with and love me. I am afraid of the world. I am afraid of people. I am afraid of what I must do to survive in the world. Even these fears I offer to my sources of refuge. Today my precious sources of refuge in your love offer me rest. In your love, never abandon me. In your love, haunt all others who feel lonely and tired. Please continue to haunt me in this life, in death, and into all my lives to come until one day I become a source of refuge for other beings. Yet it is also my prayer to become a source of refuge for beings right now in this life. May I and all others in this realm and beyond be blessed forever. I dedicate this labor to my descendants who will one day lead me into my ancestorhood. These are my prayers right now. Thank you for sharing that time with me. This week, I've had trouble speaking about anything without crying, so like, let's do this. Um, but the prayer helped me to find strength, and I needed it again right now. so. I had a message planned for today that had been percolating in my spirit since mid-April. And it had everything to do with joy and its sacred place in our lives and communities. The idea came to me um, when my family and I took a trip to Disney World. So I guess the happiest place on earth did its trick. I come from a family that's been to Disney countless times. As a kid, my father worked for Amusement Business Magazine. Like, it was actually called Amusement Business Magazine. Um, And so he wrote about the business of theme parks and concert productions and stuff like that. That was his job. So part of that was we got to go to Disney World every summer. Um, When he was 15, he became a full-time minister. So those trips stopped. Um, but when my sisters started having kids a little over 20 years ago, um, we started doing these family trips every year with our whole clan and it became this wild, manic, like exhausting part of my year that like I looked forward to and dreaded at the exact same time. Um, but now, um, I have a job that takes me to Orlando fairly often. Um, my company has an office down there, so I'm usually in Orlando about once a month. And after two fraught pandemic years, my wife and I decided we were going to splurge and we were going to take our two daughters down um, for the weekend before a work event that I had. They're four and almost two at this point. So the purpose of this trip for us was to create a joy-filled experience for our two small kids who we feel like have lost out on so much these last couple of years. They've spent so much time at home and in backyards and just avoiding other people, and there's been barely any travel to speak of. Their worlds have just been kept very small, like all in our efforts to keep them safe. So during this three-day adventure in Disney World, they were both just gleeful. And it was one of the most heart-opening experiences of my life. There was one moment in particular we were on day two of our trip, and we were making our way across the Magic Kingdom to ride one more ride before going back to the hotel for nap time. We were right in front of the castle, and we noticed there was a crowd around, and like we are kind of like making our way through it, and like this music starts booming, and we're like, oh, okay, there's about to be a show. So we looked down and said to Ellis, my four-year-old, do you want to see what the show is? And she was game, so we parked the stroller and like staked our spot to see what was going to happen. And what followed was 15 minutes Of unadulterated joy. Her favorite Disney characters, there's Tiana from Princess and the Frog came out and sang a song, and then Rapunzel came out and sang a song, and then Frozen, of course. It was like, it was picked for her. It was like her three favorite movies. And she was just overwhelmed. Like, she didn't know it was coming, and it just felt magical, and she was. Beaming, and she was laughing and dancing and clapping, and she kept saying, "Like, look, mommy!" Like holding onto my arm, just like this look on her face, of just total joy. And my wife and I kept looking at each other, and every time we caught each other's eyes, we realized that we were both crying. <laughs> we were both just so happy because Ellis was so happy. Like it's almost hard to explain the intensity of it. Now. I'm guessing that those of you who are parents will recognize this feeling, and hopefully many others. I just know that I personally didn't experience this intensity of this compersion, this joy over the joy of others until I had my daughter. It was just this complete washing over of joy that came just from watching her be in a joyful place. She was just swimming in delight, and like, especially in the light of all the missed moments of joy that I feel like she's lost these past few years. Like it was just overwhelming to me. The tears were tears of elation. So after that moment, like even as I pushed the stroller over to Adventureland, I was already thinking about that joy that comes from the joy of others and how I wanted more of that in my life. I wanted to cultivate it. I wanted more of it for me, I wanted more of it for those that I love, more of it in my community. I started thinking about what a world would look like if our overwhelming reaction to others' joy in this society was one of delight and happiness instead of the jealousy, resentment, and even suspicion that comes up more often. I started thinking about the need for joy-filled moments and intentional pleasure in our justice movements and how the joy, that joy can work not only as fuel to do the work, but as part of the design of the new way that we're building. So, today, I had planned to come and talk to you about joy. But after that, this week, that just feels really, really difficult. I wish there had been less moments in my life where I felt hopelessness pulling at my shirt sleeve or whispering in my ear. I wish I didn't know what it felt like to be peering into this like well of grief that I was choosing. Like am I going to jump in or am I going to stay out? But I live here in this broken world. So that means that on Tuesday when I turned on the radio and learned of the news of the shooting at Robb Elementary, I wasn't as shocked as I would like to have been. The tragedy of losing those 19 children and those two teachers feels almost unspeakable still. And ever since, I feel like I've been on the precipice of wailing and weeping. In the days following, life, of course, has continued to go on for us, which means I've been sitting at my desk at work every day, and then going home and tending to my kids. And I was sitting at work on Wednesday and I found myself feeling so numb and then so angry that I lived in a society that expected me to go on as if unaffected by such horrible things. I was expected to sit in my desk and do my job to produce an output just like any other day. When I wanted to be in the streets screaming for change or at a vigil next to others who shared my grief or just anywhere else trying to honor the loss of these precious lives and rail against the systems that have created a society, not only where losses like these are common, but also where we are all forced to live in fear every day, that we could lose our loved ones simply because they made the choice to go to the supermarket, to church, to school. There have been many moments over these last days where I've mentioned to a co-worker or to a friend that I'm struggling with my grief, And each and every time I've watched the face of that person I'm speaking to change as they admit that they too are struggling and, quote, to a person, can't even think about it. So I know I'm not alone. And I know that all of us here have had to go through this week similarly challenged. Some of us in classrooms. And I want to honor and recognize not only the grief that you have felt, but also the strain and the burden that you have carried to temper your reactions and to trudge ahead. There are messages that come out at times like these about turning grief into action, or take the first day to mourn and get to work on the second day. And I don't disagree with those messages overall. In fact, there's some correlation between what I had originally planned to share with you today about using joy as fuel and the notion to the notion that united in our grief and anger we should use this energy to propel change. But the truth is, this time right now, I'm not sure we've had enough time yet to grieve. And I'm certain that all of us, and I'll include myself here, haven't really had the time to adequately care for ourselves. It all just happens so fast. I'm just not sure I feel ready to fight. And so, beloveds, today I'm telling you that this too is welcome. That your grief is welcome. Your anguish is welcome. Your anger is welcome. Your fatigue of empathy is welcome. Your need to numb is welcome. It's okay. Now I will say also that I do believe that we, as Unitarian Universalists, are indeed called to action. Every single one of our principles, as well as the covenants we share together, call us to build justice. Our sixth principle, on its own, calls for the goal of world community with peace and justice and liberty. So I'm not saying that we don't act. We do. We must. This is who we are called to be, but also please understand that in this time of grief and anger, it is okay if we don't exactly know what we're bringing to the table. We can take the time to grieve and rest, and we can take the time to discern where and how we plug into the work. So this work of discernment, I propose that asking yourselves those questions about what you will do and when it's time to do it, that's actually part of doing the work like you're already doing it even if you feel like you're resting giving yourself that space is part and parcel of the whole because when i talk about the inherent worth and dignity of every person i'm also talking about mine and that means i attribute worth and dignity to my process of healing and then to my work of doing justice i often feel caught up and worry that i'm not doing enough or i don't know how to be a change maker especially with a schedule that's full of work and school and parenting. One of my favorite quotes is a song lyric from Ani DiFranco that states, God's work isn't done by God, it's done by people. And this week I was also reminded of the Frederick Douglass quote that says, I prayed for 20 years but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. So I align with these things. I love both of these quotes. They remind me to get out of my head and to connect with other people to make change. But I also know that at times like this, it's very hard to know what the heck to do. So, in the meantime, we breathe. We do our best to pause, which some of you have heard me talking about before. highly recommend at times like these. We feel our feelings. And we release any shame that we carry for the choices we have to make to survive in this world. And yes, we hold on to moments of joy, because even on dark days, they are all around us. The poet Mary Oliver shared the following If you suddenly and unexpectedly feel joy, don't hesitate, give in to it. There are plenty of lives and whole towns destroyed or about to be. We are not wise and not often very kind, and much can never be redeemed. Still, life has some possibility left. Perhaps this is its way of fighting back, that sometimes something happened better than all the riches or power in the world. It could be anything, but very likely you notice it in the instance when love begins. Anyway, that's often the case. Anyway, whatever it is, don't be afraid of its plenty. Joy is not made to be a crumb. So there is some joy in my message today. As it turns out, it isn't just about seeking joy along with justice. And I know I'm not yet finished with that topic, and I may come back to you with it another time, but my message in part still is about joy. Overall, I just wish you care in this time. I wish you space to connect with yourself and then to the world Because in the end, whether we like it or not, this is all a collective experience. Collective emotion that will lead to collective action. And it's about, as Lama Rod said, the fact that even though we may feel isolated, especially at times like this, it turns out we never ever are. I grieve for the world, for those children, their families for the systems that are so broken and the sadness and pain that is everywhere. But I am also thankful for the chance to be alive and to take the time to know who I am and how I'm here to help. To quote Mary Oliver again, it is a serious thing to be alive on this fresh morning in the broken world. May it be so.